0: John chapter number 10, verse number 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them. But they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Would you help us pray? And then you can be seated. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to be in church again. What a privilege it is to to gather ourselves together with the people of God, sing the songs of God, pray to a thrice holy God, and be able to open the word of God. Father, thank you for the Bible. And God, I'm thankful for what it teaches us about uh, ourselves and how insufficient we are for our own salvation and then it teaches about you, our sufficient Savior. Father, I pray, God, this morning that you'd help me preach the Word of God with power and unction of the Holy Spirit. I pray you change lives for time and eternity. Say, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. And amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the Word of God. before we get into uh, the the meat of the message or the verses that are before us I want you to understand there are some divisions in the Gospel of John we're preaching through the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings and there are some divisions in this gospel As a matter of fact there is a great division about to take place here I want you to understand in chapter number seven eight nine and ten we are dealing with a a week of time in those four chapters we are dealing with about a week of time. These are, these chapters are divided in by man. Man has to put the chapter numbers there. But as John by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is writing this gospel account he is telling about one week of the Lord's life. And this week is almost about approximately six months before uh, the Lord Jesus goes to the cross and dies for the sin of the world. But in chapter number 12, in chapter number 12, we go from being sick six months away from the crucifixion to about six days from the crucifixion. There's a division there in chapter 11 and back. It's talking about the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, before the crucifixion. But chapter number 12 and on uh, is dealing with what we would call the Passion Week or the week of the crucifixion. So I just want to get that in your mind. But also there's a division in John's Gospel as well. A division not of time but of people. There's a division of people. The division is this. Believers and unbelievers. We find throughout the Gospel of John that Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. And that was the the indictment on the nation as a whole. But there were some that believed on him. There were some in the Gospel of John that received him as the Savior and received him as their coming King and coming Messiah. But there were others, many others, who rejected him though time and time again. He came, he came to his own and he showed them who He was. He was clear about who he was, and they rejected him over and over and over. And so that's where we're at. There's a division in John's gospel. And we find in John chapter number 10, before we get to what Jesus is saying, you need to know the setting of John chapter number 10. John chapter number 10 is not an isolated conversation. It is not a conversation Jesus had. That is not connected to what's been going on in chapter 7, 8, and 9. So if I can't, just real quickly, I want to give you the setting of John chapter number 10. And I'm going to really, this morning, I'm just going to give a basic introduction to John chapter number 10. And I don't know how long we're going to be in John chapter number 10. It's a rich, rich chapter of Scripture that teaches a lot about our Lord. And so we're going to be there several weeks now. So today, I'm just going to give you an introduction. And in that introduction, I want to talk to you about the setting of John chapter number 10. Jesus is nearing the end of his public life. Again, about six months, maybe even less than that, from the crucifixion. And hostility is building in Jerusalem. I mean, that religious crowd, they hate him. They now, they don't just want him arrested. And they don't just want him to be quiet. They want him dead. They want to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they have threatened. And here's why. They're threatened by his popularity and they're threatened by the acceptance and appeal of the common people. See, the common folk uh, heard him and they knew, hey, something's different about him. The common folk uh, saw what he was doing. They said, hey, there's something different about him. Uh, The common folk uh, put two and two together and say hey, he seems like this is the one y'all been telling us was coming. This is the one that the scriptures say would come and deliver us. The common folk uh, were receiving him, but the religious folk, they didn't want to do with him. And they didn't like the popularity that he had. They didn't like the appeal and the acceptance that he had. And so there is a uh, a division as I've already mentioned there's a, a polarization around Christ and, and there's a storm in the sea and he's a, he's a, there's a constant storm in the center of this controversy and the storm is this you've got the scribes and the sadducées and the pharisees are trying every uh, tactic they could to try to make him look bad in public and the more they tried to make him look bad the better he looked. I mean, the more they tried to pin on him, the, the, the more clean he came out. The more they tried to make Jesus' character seem out of whack. It just made him look better. And so the masses loved him. The masses had a great affection for him. I mean, you gotta think. They they had seen him heal their sick, they had seen him helping their hurting. They had seen his heart go out to them, and they had seen how he he restored life to so many. Uh, they received him. And, and so in chapter number 7, he enters into Jerusalem where we are told that they wanted him dead and he goes into the Feast of the Tabernacles. And this is a feast that, uh, that is a festival that is celebrating God bringing them through the harvest and recognizing that God is the giver of all things, Kind of like the season we're in right now. Y'all do realize that Y'all do realize Thanksgiving's before Christmas, don't you? Y'all know that? I mean, I'm telling you what, it just makes me, we go from worshiping the devil one day uh, to claiming, claim, worshiping a Christmas tree the next day, and we forget all about what's supposed to be in the middle. You put all that together if you want to, but I'm just saying, hey, this is the. You know what this season is for? This season is a season of thanksgiving for the Lord providing for us. Hey, we've almost made it through another year, and God has been so good to us. God has provided for us, and God has protected us. Hey, we've made it through another. We've made it through another harvest time, and God has been faithful. And that's what this time in November is supposed to be about—Thanksgiving. Amen. You do what you want to as far as decorations go, but I believe this with all my heart, and I believe it because the Bible says it. uh, When you get away from being thankful to God, the next step is ungodliness. Amen. Amen. Uh, You get away from being thankful to Almighty God for His protection and His provision and His providential hand in your life, uh, uh, the next step you'll be ungodly, unholy, and unrighteous in this world. Uh, You mark her down. It happens every time. And so we ought to be a thankful people this morning. That's what the Feast of the Tabernacles is all about. Thanking God for another harvest. Thanking God for another year of bringing them through. And not only that, but not only thanking God for the previous year, but thanking God for the way he had come through in times past. Uh, This was a time where they would rejoice uh, about God bringing water from a rock for the children of Israel back in the wilderness. Uh, It was a time that they would memorialize uh, the days when God led them through the wilderness with a pillar of fire and the cloud uh, cloud and the pillar of fire. It was days they recognized God's providential hand, not just this past year, but all through their life, God's been good. Yeah, man, I think we'd do good to do that, wouldn't it? We'd be good to think about the goodness of God, not just in this year, but in our lives. And so there they are. And they are memor- they're commemorating God's hand on their lives, God's care for His people during their wilderness wanderings, and now even now in their uh, bondage that they are in, in in Roman Empire. I mean, they just recognize the goodness of God. And when when John when John chapter seven when Jesus gets to the festival when he gets to the feast, there immediately there's controversy. Why? Why is there coming? Because you got some saying, hey, this is a good man. Hey, there's, they're saying, hey, this, this seems like he's a prophet. Hey, he, he, he might be of God. Hey, he might be the Messiah. And there's others saying, no, he's a deceiver. He's a trickster. He's a liar. And they, listen, that crowd that called him a deceiver, they wanted to have him killed, they wanted him dead. And they, they would, and, and, and they would if they could, but his hour wasn't yet come. And on the last day of that feast, uh, he, uh, he, he, he kind of comes back again and he makes some statements about being the bread of life and, and being the light of the world. And, and man, it's here it is again. They're uproar again because now people are not just saying he's a good man and he, and he may be a prophet and he might be of God. They're saying he's the Christ. He's the one we've been looking for. He's the Messiah. But on the other hand, that, uh, that religious crowd's denying it, rejecting it, want wanting part in it. And what they do, they sent some some officers to arrest Jesus. You know what? They couldn't arrest him. You know why they couldn't arrest him? Because they said this. They said, uh, never man spake like this man. The officer said, we ain't putting our hands on him. You can pay us all the money in the world. We're not arresting him. Hey, hey, there's something different about him. We're not sure what all it is, but ain't nobody ever talked like him. Ain't nobody ever spoke like he speaks. Nobody ever preached like he preached. And so again, he escapes the clutches. Why? It ain't his time yet. And so on the very next day, he gets into the city to teach. And now this this religious crowd is dragging a woman who was caught in adultery to the Lord. Now, I'm not re-preaching the messages from those days. but, But remember this, they don't care nothing about that woman they don't care nothing about justice being served because if they did, they'd have had the man too because it takes two to commit adultery, by the way. Amen. And so uh, if they cared anything about justice, they'd have had both of them drug. Here's what they were trying to do. The Bible tells us what they were trying to do. They're trying to trip Jesus up. And they want to put Jesus between the law of Moses and the law of Rome. See, the law of Rome says Jews can't kill nobody. The law of Moses says adulteresses ought to be, and adulterers and adulteresses ought to be stoned and put to death. And so they're trying to make Jesus look bad. And y'all know the story. If you don't, that's a homework assignment. Read John chapter 8. It's really good for you. And he finds them and he looks at them. We don't know what he's writing in the sand. All of a sudden he says, he without, the first, he without sin. What that's saying is not that you've never sinned, those men had that very same sin that this, this woman had. These people were, were, were guilty of the same sin they were accusing her of. He says, so let you cast the first stone. Y'all know the story. They start dropping their rocks and start walking off. And the only one that could have stoned her was Jesus. And he looks at her and he looks at this woman who that religious crowd has dragged out, trying to get rid of her trying to, uh, to, to, to embarrass her. I know they're trying to trip up Jesus, but you've got to think they used this woman like, a, like a, a, a tool, if you will. They used her like a trap. They didn't care about her being a person. They didn't care about her being a soul. They didn't care that she was one of their own. They drug her to Jesus. And he looked to her and he said, go and sin no more. And Jesus recognizes her sin, and, and he forgives her of her sin. And he says this. Can I say it like this? He says, go walk in a new life. Go live. Now you've met Jesus. Now I have stepped in your life. Now Jesus has stepped in your situation. Go out and live differently now that Jesus has stepped in your life. You know what he done? He led that woman out of bondage and out of chains and out of disgrace, and out of disparagement. And he led that woman into a life, a life more abundant. <laughs> then chapter number 9. Oh, they're, they're mad about it, buddy. They do not like what he said. They don't like what he's doing, forgiving folk. They don't like it. He goes on, and there's a big discourse in chapter 8 about him, and he's just trying to say, hey, I'm the Christ. I'm the one you're looking for. Believe on me. You, you shall not die in your sins, but if you reject me, you're going to die in your sins. They're mad. They want to fight him. They want to get him. They want to kill him. The Bible says he kind of just snuck through the crowd. And on his way out, he sees a blind beggar. This man was blind from his birth. He's having to beg. And where is he begging? He's begging right outside the temple, right outside where all that religious crowd is, right outside of all that crowd that God told you're supposed to take care of your own. The crowd that God said, you're supposed to take care of the people of God. You're supposed to take care of the children of Israel. And right outside that crowd that knew that, but yet he's still having to beg. And Jesus steps in his life. I haven't said a little bit about it this morning, but gave him his sight back. Y'all know the story as we preached it last two Sundays. They are upset. You'd think they'd be happy the man's got his sight back. They're not happy about it. They're mad. They, again, they first called the man a liar. You're a liar. You do it in blind. They called his mom and daddy in. Hey, is this your son? Yes, our son. He's, was he born blind? Yeah, he was born blind. How can he see? I don't know. Ask him. He's old enough. And He kept telling them over and over. There was a man named Jesus. He put clay on my eyes. Told me to go wash in the pool. I did what he said. I got my side back. They asked him again, how'd you get your side back? He said, I done told you once, I ain't telling you again. You wouldn't listen anyway if I did. That's Will Allen's version. And what'd they do? They kicked him out. They cast him out. Now, now this don't mean they just said, get on out of here. They said, get on out of here. That's, that's, uh, that's country talk for getting them dogs and them animals away from you. Get on out, out of here. You know, get out of here. That's like that. It wasn't that. Casting him out means they grabbed him up. All this man was doing was sitting around begging for money, and Jesus gave him his side. I mean, this man ain't done nothing wrong. And they grab him up and throw him out. They don't care nothing about his soul, they don't care nothing about he's one of their own. But, buddy, they're destroying people, ain't they? And what Jesus do? He went on outside and he talked to him. And the boy got saved, hallelujah. Now watch this, I said all of that, I said all of that because John chapter 10 is immediately after, this is, blow your mind, immediately after John chapter 9. Y'all get that in a minute because 10 is after 9, right? <laughs> but sometimes in our Bible there is gaps between them. But this time it's not. Jesus is right outside Jerusalem. He's got that blind man who's now a believer. He's got his disciples with him and them Pharisees are chasing him out. And Jesus begins to preach a message that I I may be one of the greatest messages that Jesus ever preached. You know, I think about the message Jesus is preaching here in this message and and, uh, it it speaks so much to, to, to who he is and the nature. And that's why we're going to take a while to be in this because I don't want to rush through it because this message is so important about who Jesus is. I want you to notice how he starts this. Verily, verily. I've said it before, but it bears repeating because you need to know this, that that phrase, verily, verily. When Jesus says that before he begins to speak, it only happens in the book of John. And remember what the gospel of John is for. Y'all remember what the gospel of John is for? It's so that you'll believe that he is the son of God. That's what the Gospel of John is all about, that that you might believe that he is the Son of God. And watch this, verily, verily means this. It means, and I know you could talk about it means truly, truly, amen, amen, but here's what it means. What's about to be said is is divine. It is is coming from deity. Uh, What is about to be said, this is God speaking. Now, I understand, everything Jesus said was what God said. But you remember in the prophets, you remember in the Old Testament prophecies when you read like Jeremiah and Isaiah and stuff like that, you'll read and it'll say, thus saith the Lord. That is, a, that is an indication of what's about to follow or what I just said, it is direct from God. Now we know all the Bible is, but it's just putting that extra emphasis on it. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's about to put an extra emphasis on what he's about to say. So you better listen in. You better tune in. They're turning the radio on. Look what he says, verily, verily. Uh, So that's the setting. I want you to understand something. He's met, and and he's met, he's got this, he's got this. I wonder if that woman's not out there. I wonder if the woman in John 8's not out there with him. I wonder if there's some more out there. Remember, there are a crowd. There's a crowd there in Jerusalem that's believing on him. They believe in what he's saying. Now, that, re- that religious crowd, that big crowd, they don't want no part of it. But there's a crowd, and that's why they're so mad. But there's a crowd there that's following. I don't wonder who, how many is out there. I don't know. But here, Jesus has, has pr- come in to where that adulteress was. Came in to where that man born blind was. And he has personally touched them. He has entered into their lives. And now he has brought them into an intimate new relationship of abundant life. He's changed everything about their life. He's come into their life and now they are in his life. They had entered into a new dimension of living. She was an adulterer, but now she's not anymore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He was blind, but he's not anymore. Hallelujah, thank God. He's got a new life now. So he's in Christ. She's in Christ. And so to dramatize all of this, to to put it in perspective, we find the parable of the shepherd and the sheep. In John's gospel, this is the only parable That Jesus uses. Now the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's over 30 parables in those gospels. There's only one in John. And a parable is the earthly story with a heavenly meaning. A parable was meant to make emphasis of the message that Jesus is preaching. And so that's what he's doing in John 10. There's the setting. The setting of John 10. In John 10, verse number 1, he says, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And so now he's about to talk about the shepherd and the sheep relationship. And if you know your Bible, there's another chapter in our Bible that talks about the shepherd and the sheet One of my favorite chapters. I have preached multiple times a series out of Psalm 23. Many of you have heard Psalm 23. You know, it's one of the most popular chapters in all the Bible. Lost people sometimes know Psalm 20. In Psalm 23, I heard a story one time about a, uh, there was a big convention somewhere and there were two men on the, on the plan of the, the organization, the, 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 I guess you'd say the, uh, the outline of the event. There were two men scheduled to, to quote and recite Psalm 23. One of those men was a great orator of his day. I mean, he had a silver tongue, man. He could speak like nobody else could speak. He had a, I mean, he, he just had a way with words. He knew how to, how to inflect the words that he needed to to draw the crowd in. And, and he just knew all that kind of stuff, the techniques of oral speech. He knew how to do all that. And he got up and, and, and he quoted, he recited, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shout out and went on. My goodness, the place was erupting in applause. They were even wanting him to come back and say it again. Come and tell us again. They sat down, and a feeble old man got up when it was his time to recite Psalm 23. This man was not a trained oral speaker. This man was not comfortable in front of big crowds. This crowd did not have all the education that the other orator had. But he began to quote Psalm 23. And when he got done quoting the same chapter that the orator did, They were not exploding in applause for this man. Many of them were sitting in their chairs weeping and thinking about the shepherd and thinking about the Lord. The orator understood what was going on. He got up and he got up behind the mic and he said, I'm going to tell you what the difference in myself and our dear friend here tonight. He said, I know the psalm. He knows the shepherd. I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. And Psalm 23 tells us, and it's the standpoint of the sheep looking at the shepherd. And it's speaking about the shepherd. But John chapter 10 is the shepherd, our Lord. Jesus Christ speaking of himself as the good shepherd. And I wonder, do you know the shepherd this morning? We see the setting of John 10, but now let's, let's notice the sheepfold of John 10. John 10 said this in verse 1: He that entereth in not by the door into the sheepfold. What is a sheepfold? Well, a sheepfold is, we would say, we would call it, we would have a fence in our day. But in, in this day, what a sheepfold would be, would be an enclosure with made of rock and clay. Could be made of, of thorny bushes or, or, or even sometimes timber, things like that. It was an enclosement that was open air. It was open to the elements, open to air, maybe 10 foot tall, depending on what part of the country you were in. Might be short or whatever. But it was an enclosure and it had one door in that enclosure. And in that enclosure, the sheepfold, uh, what would happen is shepherds would have their sheep throughout the day. They would be leading them around the, the, the pastures. They would be leading them around the hillsides. They would be leading them by the still waters during the day. But at night, at night, the shepherd would bring his flock into the sheepfold. And in, in most towns, there would be one sheepfold where many shepherds would bring their flocks in. There was one door, they would bring their flock into that one place, that sheepfold. The shepherd would, while they're coming in, would check them and inspect them and make sure everything's okay with the sheep. But then they had a man they would hire who was called the porter And that man, his job was not to lead, guide, and direct those sheep throughout the hills and pastures. But the porter's job was simply to watch them rest at night. What an exciting job, right? Uh, Just to watch sheep rest at night. But the the porter had a very important job because the porter was to stand at the door, the entranceway of this enclosement, and he was to make sure that nothing comes through the door or no one comes through the door that's not supposed to be in there. Might be a cougar. Might be a mountain lion. Might be a panther. Might be a tiger or bear. Might be a lion. Oh my, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But it might be a thief or a robber. His job, at that porter, is to only let the shepherds who dropped off sheep, they're the only ones that get sheep. And those shepherds only get the sheep they dropped off. Had a very important job. What would happen is you'd have animals that would try to climb over the wall, you'd have thieves and robbers try to climb over the wall. And get into that sheepfold. But that sheepfold fold was a place of protection for those sheep. Again, the tall walls would, would keep out most thieves and robbers. The tall walls, the thorn bushes would keep out most predators, animals that would try to come in. But there'd be times they'd come through. But it was a place of protect, it was a place of protection from storms. It was a bunker, a barricade. Oh yeah, rain could still fall through the top. Uh, wind could still get through the top. But, but just those walls would be there to protect those sheep from the storm. It's a place of protection. And that porter would give his life to make sure those animals were safe. He would fight off the lion. He would fight off the tiger. He would fight off whatever may try, the wolf that would try to come in to the sheepfold. There was a place of protection. There was also a place of provision the word sheepfold is mainly used for that enclosement, but it also can be used for just the, the flock of a certain shepherd. The, the flock of a certain shepherd where that shepherd has, his, he has given his life to make sure those sheep are taken care of. And by the way, if you don't know this, and we'll talk a lot about it in the next few weeks, says, but, but God relates us to sheep. And that ain't real cool. Because sheep, sheep's not a really cool animal to be labeled as. You know, I had a man ask me one time. He was a referee in one of our games at the school. I don't remember if it was volleyball, basketball, another. He said, uh, he said, why don't none of y'all, why don't none of y'all Christian schools call yourself the sheep? Because you know, our our school's the Eagles. I think that night we were playing the Lions. And he said, "None of y'all Christian schools call yourself the sheep." I said, "Yeah, that's real, real terrifying." Philadelphia Christian sheep, <laughs> right? Yeah, here we come. We're gonna buy you, you know. We're gonna headbutt you or something. And I made a joke with him. I said, "Yeah, that's really intimidating." And I said, "Matter of fact, I said, most of these Christian schools need to name themselves the goats." <laughs> most the kids are in there, and the staff too. But uh, but I said, well, "I said, well, nobody's scared of no sheep." But he just making, he was making a comment that that's what the Bible says that we are. You know what? Sheep, sheep not, not only are they not cool, they're, they're real stupid. I didn't call you stupid. I didn't write this book. Well, go out here and say the preacher called us stupid. I did not write the Bible. I'm just preaching it. Sheep can't survive by themselves. If you go out in the woods hunting, this hunting season now. Y'all out in the woods and y'all see a sheep running around the woods. Don't think, oh, there's a wild sheep just running around. No, that's a lost sheep. <laughs> A sheep can't survive on their own. I mean, a flock of sheep can't survive by themselves. They have to have a shepherd. They have to have somebody taking care of them. That sheepfold describes not only the protection of that sheep, but the provision of that sheep. That that shepherd provides places for his sheep to be able to eat. I don't have time to deal with this this morning, but the shepherd sometimes if the pastures were dried up in a drought season, he would have to till up the ground, irrigate some water from creeks or streams or whatever, get water to that pasture and try to grow something for his sheep to eat. He would do whatever it takes to make sure his sheep were provided for. The shepherd would provide and protect the sheepfold. This sheepfold here. This sheepfold is a representation I personally believe is from, from studying the Bible. This sheepfold is a symbol of the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel was God's sheepfold. You can find that all throughout the Old Testament. We're going to look at that here in another sermon. We'll talk about more about that. But the sheepfold is the nation of Israel. And watch this. It says there's some thieves and robbers that are trying to climb through. There's some the Bible, we read this, there's strangers that try to come in. You know what a thief is? A thief that comes through in stealth mode trying to get whatever he wants. Matter of fact, a thief is okay for you never knowing he's there as long as he can get what he wants and get out without you ever seeing him. But a robber's a little different. A robber comes in with violence on his mind. A robber is a thief except it goes, he goes further Is he don't want you to not know he's there. He's coming in to violently take what he wants. A thief is going to sneak around and do his bidding, but a robber will do it right in the broad daylight because the robber's got vengeance or violence on his mind. The robber has got a hatred in his heart. He's got hurt on his mind. He is violently going to get what he wants no matter what. What had happened in the nation of Israel is they've been some thieves and robbers climb through. There's been some, in a stealthy way, they have put the robe of religion on. They put the robe of doing the work of God on. They put the robe of, well, I'm a Christian. And on their social media profile, they had God's first and a little church emoji and, you know, Jesus loves you. And they had all that religion. Stealth mode of religion. They just wanted one thing. To rise up in power. For everybody to look at them. Everybody to bow down to them. And then there were some robbers that climbed through through, through, too. They come, they want power, and they want authority, and they'll drag a woman through the mud to Jesus to get it. They'll grab a blind man that now can see and cast him out because they're violently going to take over. What do they want to do to Jesus? They want to violently kill him. The sheepfold. But then lastly, we'll see the shepherd. Look in verse number 2. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of sheep. He entereth in by the door. <laughs> it's exactly what's happened. When Jesus gets to Jerusalem in John chapter 7, he ain't coming in like a thief and he ain't coming in like a robber. He came exactly like the Shepherd was supposed to come. I can talk about how he came. He came exactly like God said his his shepherd was going to come because God said his shepherd was going to come born of a virgin. Is that right? Isaiah chapter 7 tells us there was a sign going to be given and there was a virgin going to give birth. Hey, that's a miracle of God. And he came just like that. Micah Micah says he's going to come and he's going to come in a little town called Bethlehem. Nobody would have expected that. But he came just like God said his shepherd was going to come. He came through a virgin. He came to Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. He went to Egypt and then came back out just like God said he would. He was born to the the poor of the society, if you will. He came to the lowly. He came to the comely people of society. He came just like he said he was going to come. He entered into the door. When he got to Jerusalem, they knew it. They knew he came right too. When he came in, he entered into the door. He's the shepherd of the sheep. I'll tell you how I know he's the shepherd of the sheep. It's number one, because of his approach. He came like he was supposed to. He was born of the virgin. He was born in Bethlehem. He came in the fullness of time. God called his son out of Egypt. His arrival provoked the hatred and rage of the enemy. He was, listen, he was the right person, born at the right time, in the right place, summoned from the right country, attended by the right sign. He was right. He came the right way. In these sheepfolds, the shepherd would not come in and bark orders to the sheep. He would not enter in and drag the sheep. He would not cast the sheep out. But he would stand on the outside, he would just call, he, he may have a word he would say, he may just have a noise that he would call out. No sheep knew his voice. There was a, there was a trial in Australia and a man was accused of stealing another man's sheep. And they had him on trial about this and, and, the, and the defendant, the one who they're accusing of stealing the sheep, had put a case up. This is my sheep. I know this sheep. He started just going on and on and on. And really, the jury and the judge, they just were not sure because both sides sounded so convincing. And finally, the judge says, I, I, I tell you what we're going to do. Bring the sheep in here. And they brought the sheep in. And they put both the plaintiff and the defendant outside the courtroom. The plaintiff, the one accusing the other one of stealing his sheep, they said, He said, All right, you start calling the sheep. And he began to call, and that sheep did not try to go to, but matter of fact, the sheep kind of got timid and scared of the voice that he heard. So they stopped him calling. Then the defendant, the one who they accused of stealing the sheep, began to haul out, and as soon as he called out, that sheep started. I mean bouncing over to where that door was where he heard the voice. They come back into the courtroom and the judge says, this man is innocent. That is his sheep because he knows his voice. His approach is right. His approach is right. His leading is right. Notice here in verse number four. and When he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them and his sheep follow. Him. You don't rustle sheep up with, with, with a sheep dog. There's a whole other message for another day. A sheep dog, a real a sheep dog is not made to rustle up sheep. Any you do it, Western shepherds try to do that, but you know Western people do a lot of stuff that ain't supposed to be doing. Yeah. Wonder why we're in a mess? It's because we think we got a better way. God's got a way, but we're gonna do it better, you know. I ain't I ain't what you do with sheep. Sheep ain't supposed to be rustled around. You don't get on a horse and crack a whip at sheep. You go out in front of the sheep. And you call them. And if they're yours, they'll follow. You know what the Lord Jesus Christ did? When he came by that boat in the Sea of Galilee and he saw James and John and Peter and Andrew, he didn't crack a whip. He didn't get on that boat and throw them boys out and say, get on him What'd he say? Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. What'd he do when he saw Matthew, that old tax collector? Everybody hated Matthew. Everybody hates the IRS, right? I mean, he went over there and didn't say, Matthew, quit the IRS and come follow. No, he said, come follow me. Come follow me. The shepherd approaches us right. He leads us right. His relationship's right. See, he said, and for they know, verse 4 says, for they know his voice. See, sheep know the voice of a true shepherd. You think about in Matthew's gospel it said this, he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. The scribes didn't have authority, but the scribes were the wrong voice. They were strangers, false teachers. They were always appealing to the teachings of man. They were always saying well this rabbi said that and that rabbi said this. But when that crowd heard Jesus and when he was taking them back to the word of God and his teaching lined up with the book and his teachings lined up with the word of God they recognized that as a voice of authority. And here he is. You know what he's leading these people out of? He's leading them out of the constricting fold of Jerusalem. There's another picture here. There's so much here. I'm just giving an introduction. But that door, that door, even though the sheep come in that door at the the night, but but that door there, that shepherd comes into the door to lead them out. And Jesus was leading them out of a a, a false religion, leading them out of self-righteousness, Leading them out of their own merit and their own goodness and their own eyes. He was trying to lead them out of that bondage and those chains of Judaism. There were some that heard it. They recognized the voice of grace and the voice of truth and the voice of power. They followed him. Just like that blind man. That blind man recognized the voice of Jesus. Now, he began to follow him. We see the setting. We see the sheepfold. We see the shepherd. He said this in verse 4, And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And this morning, As we introduce to you John 10, I introduce you the shepherd. Do you know his voice? Do you know our shepherd? Psalm 23. Famous verse. I done said that one of the most popular chapters in all the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that honestly this morning? That the Lord is your shepherd. The psalmist didn't say the Lord is a shepherd or the Lord is the shepherd. but It's personal. It's personal. Are you in the sheepfold of God? Are you in the sheepfold of the Lord Jesus Christ where he has got you under his protection and his provision? Where he leads your following? Because the Bible says this in verse 5. He said, a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. How many times do we let strangers come in and draw us away from the shepherd? How many times do we let false teachers come in and draw us away from the shepherd? How many times do I let, sometimes I'm my own stranger. Sometimes my voice is what's leading me away from the true shepherd. Do you know the shepherd this morning? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your shepherd? Have you placed your faith in the shepherd? See, these sheep don't have faith in themselves. Real sheep don't believe in themselves. They don't believe in the mama sheep or the daddy sheep. They believe in the shepherd. All of their faith, all their stock is in the shepherd. Where's your faith at? Have you placed your stock in this man? Do you know the shepherd? Do you know his voice? And then I ask you this, saved folk, do, are you following his voice? Are you following the stranger? Are you following the false teachers? Are you following another voice, maybe your own? Because just like in Psalm 23, you follow the voice of the shepherd, he, and he's your shepherd, and you following his voice, surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days this morning I'll just give you an introduction just a glimpse of where we're going in John chapter number 10 here's the message do you know the shepherd and if you know him are you following him I've I've studied the shepherds a lot I've I've studied shepherds and sheep a whole lot I ain't never done it don't know much about it on practical end as far as doing it but I've read a lot about it over the years studied out those sheep because my goodness and you know what every time I find about them sheep I find that's me that's me that's me everything I find about them shepherds, I think, that's him, that's him, that's him. But them sheep, them sheep will go astray sometimes. Them sheep will wander off sometimes by following a different voice. And all the time they end up in trouble. Last night I was sitting there in the chair and I had my Bible, my computer out, and I had my my Bible out and studying. And, and, and Maggie comes up beside me. She said, what are you studying, Daddy? I said, I'm studying about the good shepherd. I said, That's Lord willing, I'll be preaching, on, starting a series on the good shepherd tomorrow morning. She said, oh, I know that story. I said, you do? She said, yeah. I said, tell me about it. I said, what do you know about it? I said, I might can use some of it in my message in the morning. That's what she said. She said, I know this. That there was a shepherd that had a 100 sheep She said, one of them didn't follow the shepherd. She said, one of them went their own way. She said, and and, and went went away from the flock and and got got stuck. And she said, and that shepherd left the 99 and went and found that one. And she said, and I remember something something about when the shepherd rescued it, had to break its legs. So it wouldn't run off again. I said, "Oh yeah, I, said, I remember that too." I remember reading a story about a shepherd who had a beautiful female sheep. They call them ewes. E W E. Beautiful. She was. She was good. She. She was a. I mean, her her wool was good. She didn't have blemishes on. She produced a lot of good. Lambs. She was a very good sheep, but she had one issue. She ran off all the time. She'd dig up under the fence, or she they'd be in one pasture, and she'd go off to another. And he said it was a constant, The shepherd, I was reading about this shepherd over in Africa. He said it was a constant battle keeping her in the flock. He said, and finally, I had to take her. When I brought her in, I had to break her legs. I had to ground her for a little while had to ground her so she could not run off. And it wasn't it was because every time she ran off, it would hurt her. It would get her hurt. It would get her in trouble. Every time. And as I read that story, and I, remind, I was reminded of it by my little girl last night about that story. But how many times have I went a different way than what God was leading me? How many times have I tried to go my own route, follow my own voice or somebody else's voice, and every time it's got me in trouble? Think about the times God had to take me and ground me. But you know what? It'd be better if we just learned from the first time. It'd be better if we just learned that, hey, I can't take care of myself. I can't feed myself. I can't groom myself. I can't do none of that much. I got to have a shepherd. And it's better with my, my worst day with a shepherd. Better than my best day without him. My worst moment with the shepherd taking care of me. Better than the best moment without him. Do you know the shepherd this morning? He's playing the song. Where he leads me, I'll follow Will you follow him? Do you know the Savior this morning? If you're not saved this morning, we'd love to take a Bible and show you how to be saved. But if you are saved, you're not following the shepherd. If you're, if you're not saved this morning, you're not following the shepherd, would you confess to him, get right with him? He said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's wanting to lead you out. The shepherd's want to lead you out. He's won't take care of you. He's wanting to protect you.